myself and everybody at the club are shocked and disappointed by the ruling of the Premier League Commission. We believe the sanction is disproportionate and wholly unjust. The harshness and severity of this punishment are neither a fair nor a reasonable reflection of the evidence that was submitted to the Commission. And welcome to the Sound of Football podcast. I'm Graham Sibley, and as ever, I'm joined by Jan Bilton. Hello. And Terry DeFellon. Hello. Jan, welcome back. Welcome back to the podcast. And you were in Greece last week, weren't you? I was. I was. I was in Athens. Yeah. Or, as I found out from a local, it's pronounced Athens. <laughs> I actually bumped into that exact person who spoke exactly like the caricature that uh, Terry uh, entertained us with the other week. <laughs> yeah, anyway, so I had exactly the same conversation. He went, yeah, Zephyrns, bruv. <laughs> there you go. It's official. Fantastic. Yeah, well, it's good to have you back anyway. Good to have you Thank back you. for the international break when there's nothing to talk about. So, but hey, it is the international break, but there is lots to talk about this week, isn't there, Terry? Because uh, first off, we've got to catch up on what we spoke about last week, the bit about managers not getting sacked. Indeed. And we talked about Urs Fischer at Union Berlin. Yeah. And what happened before I even got the podcast out? <laughs> He was gone. He was gone. We were talking about, you know, praising Union to the skies for their patience and resilience. And the next day he was gone. Yeah. Mm. By mutual consent, to be fair. Yeah. Decided that he wasn't getting through and that it would be best that he went. Union President Degzinger was saying, well, you know, it's very painful to see him go. But at the same time, you know, the, the bit he's not saying out loud is, but I'm kind of relieved that it's happened. I don't think they felt they could sack him. Mm. I don't think they felt they could sack him. Yeah. I think they felt they owed him too much. Um, but he obviously decided that he wasn't getting through. And we go into this in quite detail in the Talking Football podcast, which will be out um, maybe, well, certainly by the time this comes out. And they also get Kit Holden, who's the author of um, the Chaser, the, uh, the, the Union Berlin book. So th- there's quite a lot of detail behind it and the story behind it. But the upshot of it is, is that they have been terrible for some time. Um, as we know, it's not just a question of like they've been unlucky or anything like that. They've just been genuinely awful. I don't think that the new signings have worked out very well. And also the balance in the changing room has maybe changed somewhat because some of the new signings we come from a different kind of working culture, frankly, and, and have maybe not gelled in the same way. So it's, it is actually quite sad. But, yeah, it's very interesting uh, because the new coach is coming from the under-19s. There's a female coach leading the team there as well, assistant coach. So, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens next at Union. Yeah, interesting developments there. Of course, the big news over here has been the fact that Everton have been docked 10 points for breaching financial sustainability. I think that's what it's called these days. Which has caused a bit of a rumpus, and of course, because it's happened in the middle of an international break, that means that it's dominated a lot of the football chat, especially when England haven't really got anything to worry about as far as their qualifications concerned. So 
we're going to be talking a lot about that later on, the whys and wherefores of it, and about how, well, we'll call it financial fair play because that's what the common term has been, but I know it's not actually called that anymore. But we'll go over that, I think, a lot more as the conversation goes on. So that's, that's what we'll be talking about this week. I think before that as well, we've got to catch up with what football we've been watching as well this weekend. So, Terry, what football have you been watching this weekend? <laughs> yeah, you know perfectly well what football I've been watching this weekend. I've not been watching any football this weekend. I didn't make it along to a game. We take the opportunity to have a busy domestic weekend doing stuff that we previously put off because I've been at the football. Um, so so I've, I've, I've been doing that. So I've been up in the loft, been in the garage, I've bought a new laptop, and I recorded a podcast yesterday as well. So I've not watched any football. There, you're happy? No football. We'll just have to pluck opinions out of the air then, won't we? Uh, and yeah, and of course, you've had the excuse that you've only just got back from holiday, had things to do, you know, there was things on your plate, wasn't there? No, there were things on my plate. Lots of um, grilled uh, lamb in the main and uh, <laughs> lovely Greek salads. Um, anyway, I really wish I was back there. Um, I actually, uh, I was I was so looking forward to watching some, some, I love watching football on a Sunday and there wasn't, well, there was international football, but I don't really care for. Um, but I, I found myself watching Saarbrücken against Dynamo Dresden. Um, yesterday for a short period of time <laughs> as I, I put it on I was just like oh all right this looks good I'll watch this for a bit my son walked in and said dad why are you watching German third division football and I said do you know what you're right you're right there's a dog that needs walking here <laughs> I've got better things to do with my time um uh, th- that's not to um to, to knock German third division football but I just I thought I I just need I need to <laughs> I need to need to have a look at myself here. So, um, yeah, I went for a nice healthy walk. Yeah, for some people, though, Jan, that is appointment to view television, that is. And I'm yes. looking at the other person in this conversation right now. <laughs> yeah, no, and it, I feel kind of bad that I, I should have, I mean, I should have been watching that game. I knew it was on. I totally knew it was on. <laughs> but I just thought, just how much so third division football on YouTube do you want to including your life stuff man how i mean you really do have other things to do i do love the fact that the sound of football is the only podcast where it feels it has to apologize to fans of third division german football well, <laughs> it is, i mean it's literally the only one well all right maybe you know third division german football today podcast if such a thing exists they might you know but I mean... you say if such a thing exists like you don't know <laughs> Well, now, now I'm a regular watcher of German third-tier football. I'll be, I'll be tuning into that. Well, that's great. I did tell my wife that I'd caught a bit of the Wales-Armenia game on the iPlayer, but of course it was in Welsh commentary, to which she actually said, my wife of 29 years said, do you ever think that you watch a bit too much football? <laughs> <laughs> She's been waiting 28 years to say that. <laughs> To be fair, I had been flicking over between the WSL match between Liverpool and Chelsea because that was on roughly about the same time. I did actually go and watch some football this weekend. I went to Crawley Town to watch Brighton versus Arsenal in the WSL, which was a cracking game. Well, it's a cracking game because Arsenal won 3-0. A lot closer than the scoreline suggests, but good entertainment. A packed house. Arsenal away, breaking records everywhere they go. Uh, yeah, it was a full house at Crawley Town Stadium, which holds about 5,000. Which is interesting because 
the news that's been coming out over the last couple of weeks from Brighton that they are looking to build their own stadium for their women's team, an actual purpose-built stadium just for them. And in Brighton, in the area. The news on that is a bit sketchy. It's just been given the nod from the council, I think, as an in-principle thing rather than any plans being laid down. But Terry, I mean, you used to live in Brighton. You are on the south coast now. Um, Where do you think they're going to put something like that then? Yeah, we think that it's probably going to be in sort of the nether region between sort of like Hove, Port Slade, sort of. I mean, we wonder whether or not, so maybe Hollingbury. Mm-hmm. It is difficult because you go out there and the further out you go, you're pretty close to the South Downs, of which obviously you can't develop on. Sure. But I wonder, I mean, my wife and I were speckling as to what it would be, and we wonder whether or not it might be out that way and i think that would be quite good because that is proper brighton and hove not like where the men's team play which is a different place um, which i believe i might have mentioned once or twice on this podcast it is um, actually in the city limits it is in the city limits listeners it is officially brighton and hove it's in falmer anybody body who knows the area will tell you that it's in falmer i care what it said just because they've redrawn it on a map for political reasons. It's complete nonsense. Everyone knows that it's in Falmer. Anyway, so that's such petty parochialism aside, I do think that, that, that yeah, so, so I mean, I think that, you know, obviously being a, you know, a, a palace guy, I was like, Meh. but, you know, it is good, obviously, for the development of the women's game. It's ridiculous that Brian playing Crawley, absolutely ridiculous, but it is the nearest stadium that they could realistically go to to get a decent enough crowd. I mean, they couldn't go to Worthing. Worthing have got their own women's team, you know, so mm. their options are limited. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised that the council are smiling on the idea because it's a popular movie to be a vote winner. So, of course, but yeah, it's a long way to go. Can I ask a really stupid question? Why don't they just play in Brighton at Brighton? That's not a stupid question at all. And the answer to the question is, I don't know, but I suspect that they just probably don't feel it's sustainable to do so. But I don't, I'm not aware that they've done any, like, ex, sort of, like, specific... Like, you'd have thought Brighton v Arsenal, that would have sold enough tickets. That was the home of England during the Euros, really, wasn't it? Yeah. In my book, anyway. Uh, and it seems a shame that they're not hosting women's football. I mean, the answer is, is that Brighton are a terrible football club. But, uh, I mean, I don't know what the real answer is, <laughs> the more nuanced answer is. <laughs> This weekend, we had Chelsea playing Liverpool at Stamford Bridge, and they got 12,000 in there, which is double what they could get, more than double what they could get at Kings Meadow. So it makes mm. perfect sense. But is that enough to fire up the grills mm-hmm. and how much you're charging to open up a, a big stadium like that? You are probably just about cutting even at the moment. What Brighton are planning is looking ahead. And it's worthwhile doing. But we spoke last week about how things are going to change so very quickly in the women's game. Now, yesterday, Brighton did have 5,000 people near as damn it at Crawley. But I would say at least half of those were Arsenal. Mm. Because Arsenal, I think they've broken the attendance record at every ground they've been to this season for a WSL game. They had 12,000 at Ashton Gate. It's very difficult to gauge where WSL attendance figures are going if you take Arsenal out of the equation. Moving back to Brighton would be great for Brighton because it just makes sense rather than being 20 miles up the road. But Crawley is still very much a Brighton catchment area, I think. 
I know Brighton season ticket holders who live in Horsham. That's not at that outlandish. East Grinstead's no. not far away. I mean, like that's yep. that's a fair split between Brighton and Palace there, isn't it? Crawley is a is a Brighton a bit of a Brighton and Palace flashpoint because it used to be for years Palace would always go and do a pre-season than Crawley because there there was an expectation that local Palace fans will turn up. Yeah, I'm not suggesting it's not the right venue given the circumstances. No at all but it just like if you look at its surface level you think that's that is kind of ridiculous it's a shame also they i mean like for example there was always the Wisding, which of course brighton's men's team played during the dark times when they were trying to get their act together it also occurs to me of course that access to the amex is an issue it's off the a27 mm. there's only got that small railway station going in you normally have to organize car parking with the with the university nearby which presumably needs probably to be booked in advance so actually logistically there may be some issues doing that and then dropping in sort of like i don't think you can just do it on a whim in a way that maybe at other stadiums you, you might be able to do it at some kind of short notice so there's that to consider as well if i'm being truly objective and non-biased about it that i, I it probably is not as straightforward as it sounds to host women's games there and as you say graham if their attendance is aren't up to it then they do have to ask themselves you know are they really going to be able to justify firing up the grills and all of that but yeah i think it would be amazing if there was a purpose-built women's football stadium in brighton for brighton and, and hove albion that would be genuinely amazing mm. i think to answer your question there yan i think they probably could go there and i don't think it's solely about whether or not they can make it financially viable to play at falmer I think this is more of a statement from Brighton. I think if they make the statement of being the first to build a stadium, even if it's only got a, a capacity of eight or 9,000 even, which might make it easier to build, and it's in Hove, maybe it's near the dog track or somewhere like that. If if you build it that close to town, and then people will come. And I think it's more of a statement of creating something different about Brighton as a team. But it's good news whichever way you look at it. Going back onto the main story, which I suppose is also about building a new stadium up in the Liverpool docks, which has been seen as the main reason as to why Everton have found themselves in hot water with the Premier League. Last week, Everton were handed a 10-point deduction, which put them in the relegation zone, put them down to four points. Even Lutner are looking down on them now. Jan, this has been rumbling for a while. We've been waiting for this, haven't we, for it to come. And uh, even when it did come, it seemed to be a bit of a shock when it happened, didn't it? It's been clear that they've been under investigation and obviously the manner in which they've been conducting themselves financially since their new owner came in, uh, Farhad Moshiri, back in uh, 2016, has, has raised a few eyebrows, hasn't it? They spent a lot of money on players uh, over that period. I, I was reading this morning that they're probably the fifth highest in the Premier League in terms of transfer spend over that period. And they've got nothing back for it, really, have they? And of course, you throw into the mix, there's a, there's a COVID epidemic, which will have cost many clubs a, a lot of money. And then they're trying to finance this beautiful new Bradley Murdoch Stadium as well. But there are clear rules, aren't there? The rules are that you're not allowed to lose over £100 million a season over three or four seasons. And Everton went, I'm going to sound really silly saying this, just over that by a mere £19 million, which in the overall scheme of things in, in football terms is nothing. But 
it's still £19 million pounds and uh, you've got to draw the line somewhere. So obviously that line was drawn. As I understand it, Everton went back and forth with the authorities um, saying that you know there were extraordinary costs that they had to meet. Because the interesting thing about this is that you're allowed to have certain costs if it's seen as an investment. So for example, building a new stadium, investing in a women's team, investing in youth and things like that. So they were trying to write off a lot of it on that. But even with that taken into account, they were still £19 million over. Um, so they've clearly been spending um, more than they're earning, and the authorities have seen that. And what's interesting as well, it's not just the Premier League that sanctions them, they charge them, and then it goes into a, it goes to an independent body, and they decide um, what the punishment is. So this goes to a, a, an independent group run by somebody, King's Council, um, who makes the decision. So you know, if you're going to keep losing money to the extent that Everton have been for that amount of time, and like I said, you've got to draw the line somewhere, then you know, you've got to expect a punishment. Ten points has been argued. It's been a bit too much. I think Portsmouth, they got close to that. I think it's about nine. Nine, nine yeah. But they went into administration to yeah. get that. But that was a different time, I suppose. What is interesting, I'm sure we'll get to this, is if a club is big and is successful with a rich history that they have, um, has got themselves into a situation where they're being sanctioned in this way, I wonder what else lies in store for some of the clubs that are a bit more overt about their expenditures. Well, that is something that has overshadowed the whole business with Everton. And it's given Everton fans at least something to cling on to. And also media commentators as well. The fact that you can bring in Chelsea and Man City and talk about things like relegations and titles being stripped and things like that. Especially when last week when it emerged the scale of Roman Abramovich's somewhat shady deals that were going on in the background of moving money around from offshore funds to offshore funds to finance players and to influence other clubs even. But Terry, Everton have made their own mess here. A lot of people have been saying, oh, it was only 19.5 million. That's not even enough to buy a decent second choice left back these days. So while that does seem that they've really gone hard over something that in the scheme of Premier League money isn't that much but Everton were pretty much on special measures anyway they have been for like the last two years effectively they've got a salary cap and still they're losing money so is this more of a case of well look we've tried holding your hand on this this is the only way you're going to change I think it's the only conclusion that you can realistically draw but I really don't think that the Premier League would be naturally minded to dish out punishments of that nature uh, because they can, they would be concerned about the precedent that it would set. Also, as Jan points out, if you're referring it to an independent body led by a KC, you're paying them effectively to look at your rules, look at the guidelines for punishments for breaching those rules, and then apply it accordingly, then you have to respect that what they've come back with is fair and just. And it's a tough pill, I think, for Everton fans to swallow but I think it is also difficult, really, from our position, to really argue with the ruling. I think what we're thinking about is more broadly what this means for other clubs who find themselves in this kind of position or for other clubs that break other rules and how it relates to that. But specifically with, with Everton, yeah, I mean, they've spent an awful lot of money on their squad. It's got them absolutely nowhere, worse than nowhere. They're trying to juggle maintaining the ambitions of the club while at the same time financing a new football stadium, which is not easy at all. 
and they'd made a complete hash of it, really, to be honest with you. And so I guess it's not really a surprise that they've not been able to stay within the rules. And while £19 million in absolute terms is, you know, is not a great deal of money, or rather actually in absolute terms it is a great deal of money, but in relative terms it's not a great deal of money, a breach is a breach. And I don't really see you know, how you can find any mitigating circumstances behind that. But I have a great deal of sympathy for Everton fans in this moment. And I'm minded to be empathetic to those who are looking at other clubs, specifically Manchester City and Chelsea, and wondering why they have not been punished, whereas Everton have. But of course, that's what happens when you get found guilty and you can't get off on a technicality. Or if you're under investigation, but it's taking so long to figure out if you're guilty or not, that in the meantime, you're just carrying on as normal. Yeah, well, City's army of lawyers are keeping any investigation at arm's length and have been kicking the can down the road for four years now, in which time they've won all of the titles. I suppose what the Premier League are looking at is saying, well, yeah, they're breaking the rules, but they're also good for it as well. With Everton, I don't think they think that the Everton are good for their debts anymore. And I think that's concerning them. They've got this huge stadium that they're building and their squad is just all over the place. Daesh is getting tune out of them, which is great. I mean, and as well, I mean, we have to say this now for Everton fans, I don't think they're going down. I think they'll be out the relegation zone before Christmas. They'll probably be out the relegation zone a couple of weeks after the international break. They are only two points away from Luton, and you've got to look at the teams down there, and unless something really drastically changes with those teams, those three that are down there are going down, and Everton are probably going to finish ahead of Bournemouth as well. So, yeah, it's harsh, but at the moment, if they can hold on to Dyche, that is, I don't think they're going down at all. Man City have been spending all this money. They can't really claim anymore. They can't really say that it is all because of fair means. But the money is coming in. It's not as if they're suddenly going to pull the rug out from underneath them or leave them saddled with debts. Chelsea is a different case because Abramovich had to get out because he was being sanctioned, which is a part of the reason why Everton are in this situation because of what happened with Ushmanov. The £200 million that he was meant to be putting into the side was obviously blocked off. So this does show why these things are put in place, because you don't know what the future is going to hold. But I suppose all the time the money is coming in, are the Premier League that concerned about the FFP? Because the money spins around, doesn't it, Jan? Yeah, it does. Just to go back to Terry's point about feeling sympathy for Everton fans, I genuinely do, because it's... I think you're right as well. They're not going to, I don't think they'll get relegated. I mean, they've got obviously an increased chance now. But if I was to put myself in an Evertonian's shoes on this, Everton have had one breach of the financial uh, rules around this. Manchester City have well in excess of 100 breaches. You're right, their lawyers are just kicking down the road constantly. Um, And the reality is they probably won't get sanctioned. You know, they might lose 10 points, but that'll be it. It won't make any difference to Manchester City. You know, they'd still comfortably finish in the the kind of top 10, wouldn't they, if they got 10 points taken off them? I don't think it'll go as far as taking titles off them and things like that. So if you look at it from that point of view, you're going to feel hard done to as an Everton fan. I think that the sanction is is right. I think they, they should be punished for it. But you kind of go, well, this should be a level playing field, shouldn't it? And it really isn't. 
it really isn't. And and I know what you're saying, Graham, when you said, well, the Chelsea and, and City are good for their money, but the rules should just be black and white and should apply evenly to everyone. I really have some sympathy with Everton fans because of that. To them, it would seem grossly unfair. What it points to is the way that financial sustainability is structured and the way the financial fair play is structured. The financial fair play is structured to help teams that already have money. And they are there to an extent to protect the big clubs and to keep the clubs big. When City fans talk about their club's alleged financial breaches, they will often put forward a moral argument to say that FFP exists to keep the big clubs protected from you know, insurgent or disruptive elements like Manchester City, who are, were not by any means a small club, but they were certainly not operating at any kind of level where they were going to be able to challenge just on the basis of themselves. They needed this massive cash injection to be able to catch up. And, and I think a lot of City fans morally justify themselves in that. And that's because it's true. I'm not suggesting FFP is a bad thing, but it is operating in order to protect the elite clubs still further and stop them from being challenged. And I, I think that needs to be said out loud. And I don't think there's anything tinfoil hatty or conspiratorial about that. And I think that the, the way that these punishments are being meted out or not and not being at is consistent with the structure of financial sustainability. You guys are good for it. So that's fine. Let's just go through this in the courts. And then when we're finally there, I wouldn't be at all surprised if an out-of-court settlement is done. Will you take a 10-point deduction for this to go away, Man City? And they'll go, yes, all right, we'll take a 10-point deduction, and that's fine. As long as you don't take any of the titles away that we effectively cheated to get, we will take that, and then that way justice will appear to be done. Chelsea is a little bit more. Chelsea's a bit more complicated because Chelsea really shouldn't exist anymore. By rights, Chelsea would have been expunged after Abramovich had to divest from the club. It was effectively government intervention that nationalised Chelsea for a short while. Not while they get that sorted out because they weren't prepared to take with the PR backlash. So there's, so there's more going on there. But may I say, I'm not suggesting that what is happening here is a good thing for Everton. It is not a good thing that is happening here. But it might well be that they will reflect on this moment and say, actually, we, we may have dodged something of a bullet here because, one, again, I think Sean Dyche may well reflect on this and say, actually, do you know what? This actually worked out quite well for me because I was able to keep them up and there was an awful lot of pressure off me. So I was able to work through what are incredibly challenging times for this football club, lowering the expectations and keeping them through. I think it will galvanise the fans into a kind of FU mentality, which I think that kind of belligerence is something that Deitch is going to go for. I don't think there's any problem with keeping Deitch. I think he's there um, for basically as long as they want him to be there, for as long as he wants to be there. But also, this might put off the takeover by 777. If ever, any Everton fans want to know a little bit more, don't know enough, then do avail yourself of the work of Philippe Auclair and Josimar magazine and the work that's being done, the journalism that's done investigating 777 and some of the things that those guys get up to. Particularly, I mean, like, you know, they are part owners of Hertha BSC, for example, who are, you know, something of a basket case of a football club. I don't think that they're a particularly principled bunch. I think that there's a distinct possibility that the takeover of 777 at Everton is disaster capitalism coming to the Premier League and it's entirely unwelcome. And if something like this maybe puts that off, then I reckon that actually Everton could have dodged something of a bullet here. So I'm just pointing out perhaps some silver linings for this. 
for Everton in what is, you know, a very, very bad moment for them. There's no getting around that. Mm. Jan, we've said how we can sympathise with Everton fans, but how about Leicester and Leeds fans? Can we sympathise with them who would look at this and say, Everton cheated and stayed up, our clubs played by the rules, as far as we know, and went down? Do they have a point? Well, yeah, they, I mean, they they have a point in a in a moral argument, yes. But, I mean, is it, it's not going to change anything, is it? <laughs> they, were, they were really terrible football teams. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you get, you get relegated because you're, you're pretty bad. You know, it's, you could argue the same about City and the teams that are around them as well and Chelsea in, in their time. So, yeah, you, so where do you stop it? So, yes, they've got a point um, and we all, you know, would be sitting around the pub with them and going, yes, you're completely right. But you haven't got a leg to stand on, mate, so you might as well get the beers in. Leicester should not have been relegated with that team. It was too good. They played yeah. terribly and yeah. got relegated. I'm sorry. But, you know, Leeds, you know, again, similarly. But it's Leicester with that team had no business being anywhere near relegation zone. I'm sorry, but I don't have any sympathy for that. I have more sympathy for the, for the well, in fact, I don't even have, I don't have sympathy for any of them, frankly. But you could make the argument, as Jan points out, that like you know, Liverpool and in particular, I think maybe I think could have won more trophies were it not for the fact that Manchester City had spent so much money on on their players. And also, it should be said, getting a tune out of those players as well. I mean, like, that is a well-run football club, Manchester City. They spent their money wisely, mm. unlike Everton. What do you think the outcome of this is going to be? Do we think we have clean slate Everton now? Do we think that they're going to stay up and everything will actually be better? They'll have learnt their lesson? I think they'll stay up, as I've said. The, I think this might rumble on a little bit longer because they describe the judgment as wholly disproportionate. Um, and so they will be appealing that. So it might rumble on a bit. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. They might get it down to five points or something. I don't know on, on appeal. I'm not sure how this, that's going to work or how soon that's going to happen. It's muddied, isn't it, because of what Terry said about 777 and the takeover. If that doesn't go ahead, then they're still stuck with somebody who's mismanaged the club. Uh, his organisations mismanaged the club. If it does go ahead, then, you know, good luck, Everton. <laughs> Buckle up. It's going to be an interesting ride. You think you've had it bad now. It's just a really uncertain time for Everton. And, and, and even looking forward into the, the short to medium term uh, for them, it just really looks like a real volatile time for them and not a great time to be a fan of Everton. Mm-hmm. Terry? I think that unless a new responsible owner emerges that Everton are going to have problems, this is damaging to the club. And despite my earlier silver linings, I think the long-term prognosis for Everton is pretty grim unless or until they can find a, a, an owner who's going to have the ability and the confidence to be able to do it. There's a, this is a, a time like this, what should be happening is the government should be intervening and, and maybe working out some kind of part supporter ownership for Everton Football Club at this moment. I think that that's the, the healthiest uh, and actually the most realistic option for them. And that's not realistic at all, unfortunately. So I, I'm afraid it's not good. But it, that, that's what should be happening now. Everton should be being turned over for its supporters to start running and, and electing a supervisory board to be able to do that. It's complicated further because obviously there's the stadium situation. But nevertheless, I think that that is, is what should be happening with Everton right now. It's, it's, it's not going to happen, but it should. Yeah, I suppose if Everton fans are looking to Chelsea for a precedent, then maybe it's the government intervention that is the one that they should be looking for. They are as storied, if not more storied. They're a historic football club and they're a significant part of the cultural fabric of the city of Liverpool. 
and indeed of the nation of England. Uh, there's a strong moral case for government intervention. Mm. Um, if they were in any other city, they may have a proper case. Yeah, and in the other government, they might have. Their, yeah. they, they might yes. have a chance. If there's a Labour government, I think there'd be a chance of that. But the Tory government, Tories hate Liverpool, as is well known. Yeah, and the feeling is mutual. Yep, yep, it is. Well. Where does it all start again for Everton? Well, it starts at home, and I wonder what sort of reception the team are going to get when they go out and face Man United this Sunday. Yeah, and that's going to be quite an atmosphere at that going, isn't it? Yeah, I think you're right, Terry. There'll be a real FU mentality, and they'll be right behind their side. At least I hope that's how it plays out. I can't see it not doing that, but they'll want to go out, and, and you know, hopefully the players will have a bit of fire in the belly. Sean Dyche should be able to get them wanting to beat United. United have done it a little bit better of late, but they're there for the taking, aren't they? Yeah, Surely. Yeah. It would really send a, a shot back, wouldn't it, if, if they went and stuffed United? If it was really well-timed, it would be City they're playing, not United, <laughs> wouldn't it, Terry? <laughs> or Chelsea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think they'd get out alive, I don't think. <laughs> they'd certainly be be, uh, be hoisted up by their ankles and shook out for all the change that falls out of their pocket anyway. <laughs> Of course, Everton Manu is going to be in our box set, uh, along with City Liverpool as well, which is on Saturday lunchtime. Because we haven't had a lot of Premier League uh, stuff in the box set, we've got three this weekend because there's three absolute zingers uh, ties because there's also Spurs v Villa on uh, the Sunday lunchtime game, all of which should be crackers. Terry, uh, Frankfurt, Stuttgart as well. That'll be a good one, won't it? Two teams in banging form. Uh, Frankfurt going really well. Stuttgart going brilliantly, it's got to be said. They beat, they thrashed Dortmund 2-1. I mean, it really should have been 4-1, 5-1. It was, uh, it was very convincing. So, yeah, and, and an opportunity for us to get Stuttgart into the box set because we've talked about them a bit on this podcast but not yeah. had the opportunity to preview them. So, yeah, looking forward to that one, Clive. Yeah, yeah. We Also, the weekend starts with PSG Monaco on Friday night, which should be brilliant. And finishes up with the Derby de Italia on a Sunday night, Juve Ooh. versus Inter. So top two in France and Italy as well. It, it, it's come back from the international break with a whole load of zingers in, this week. And if you want to see what we think of those seven games, uh, then get along to sofpodcast.com, click on the link for the weekend box set and subscribe and you will read our thoughts on those games. Well, I suppose really all we have to look forward to now is the end of the Euros qualification cycle now, isn't it? It's uh, just coming up, just before England kick off their last game. They're already through. They only have to avoid a 12-0 defeat to North Macedonia to be in pot one for the draw on the 2nd December. And of course, you know what that means. If there's a draw going on, we're going to get in there first. And next week, we will be doing our unofficial draw. Guys, are you you excited? Super pumped. Yeah. Very excited. Very, very yeah. excited. Love it, and, love it, love it. And listeners, you might might even have an extra special treat next week because I think we might be in the studio together for that one. So tune into that next week. Uh, so really, we've got to prepare for that now. So that is all we have time for this week. So from me, Graham Sibley, from Jan Bilton, and from Terry DeFellon, it's goodbye. 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 Contact us through our website, sofpodcast.com, via Twitter at Sound of Football, or on Facebook.com slash 
Sound of Football. The conversation on women's football I thought was very interesting mm. about the stadiums, things like that. That was good. So you don't get takes like that anywhere else, do you? Well, you do, but... <laughs> yeah. yeah, to be fair, you do. WSL, the German third tier, financial <laughs> fair play. <laughs> and fake draws. That is some running order, that is. <laughs> you, know, you know, some podcasts actually put a running order on their, do. their notes, yeah. don't they? Mm-hmm. And I just, if anyone that looked at any of ours would, would be just, <laughs> what, these guys on? <laughs>